Is your money working as hard as it could be for your future? A decade ago, Robinhood changed the investment landscape when they pioneered commission-free stock trading. Today, they continue to offer innovative products to help users build a better financial future, like IRAs, ETFs, options for qualified traders, and much more. Take control of your financial future with Robinhood. Download the app or visit Robinhood.com to learn more. That's Robinhood.com. Disclosures. Investing involves risk. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIP. PC is a registered broker dealer. Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I'm Neil Fryman. And I'm Toby Howell. On today's pod, we get our first glimpse of presidential candidates' finances, and one balance sheet in particular looks like it could use an infusion from Andreessen Horowitz. And it's a good time to be a pilot for United Airlines. We'll tell you why. Then we'll check in on Hollywood to see if the industry can survive a double writer actor strike. Plus, after an interminably long waiting period, the Tesla Cybertruck is finally here. It's Monday, July 17th. Let's ride. Toby, I was out Friday, and I'm surprised I still have a job here at this podcast. You and not Toby crushed it. It was a fun time. The weirdest part was definitely sitting on your side of the desk. The lighting is totally different, I realize. Like, it's a lot darker over there. I know. that. Maybe that's why people say you're, you're better looking than me. <laughs> it's, it, it totally just comes down to lighting, for sure. Uh, <laughs> tell me a little bit about uh, Maine. Well, yeah, so we were in Portland, Maine. Uh, I think I did... All of the highlights that I want to check off, uh, I was there for a bachelor party, so it was a group. It wasn't just me. Uh, kayaked in Casco Bay, went to the Allagash Brewery, which is a great time. So many bachelorette parties, which I wasn't expecting. So if you're a bachelor party, it might be a good place to consider going. I- I'm so happy you had a good time there, honestly. That's great. Yeah, because you lived there for a year. Right. Also got a lobster roll from Bite Into Maine, which I highly recommend. It's a food truck. Guess how much it cost? It's got to be seasonal prices, $27. 30 30 Oh, boy. That was the smaller size, the four ounce. I know. It was $30, you. but it was delicious, and I think I don't regret it, but I don't know. When in Maine, baby. It was delicious. That is a crazy amount yeah, of that's spend. A lot. That's a lot. But uh, when in Maine. All right, let's get into our first story. Uh, So running a presidential campaign is definitely a lot like running a business. You've got to hire staff, run effective digital marketing, uh, and this one's key, not run out of money. Well, Ron DeSantis is struggling in that final point. This weekend, we got a first look at the detailed campaign finances of each of the presidential candidates. And the one thing that stood out was that the Florida governor's burn rate looks like something out of Adam Newman era WeWork. DeSantis raised a lot last quarter, about $20 million, but he's also spent almost 40% of the amount he's raised. That's largely because of his huge staff. 92 full-time staffers worked on his campaign, by far the most of any candidate. And even he realized he was overhiring like a big tech company in 2021 and fired about a dozen of them last week to cut costs. So DeSantis is following Zuck and trying out this year of efficiency. Did anything else stand out to you from these filings? Yeah, I think also that First of all, DeSantis is doing well. Like He raised a lot of money, but he's almost tapped out of his uh, voter base a little bit because more than two-thirds of the cast that he has on hand is from backers who gave $3,300, which is actually the biggest check that right. individuals can write in primary elections. So 
it, it kind of shows that there was like this initial burst of enthusiasm. A lot of people gave a lot of money for an individual donor, but now that those people have given that money, you're I did not know this about the $3,300 limit. Right. It, I think you can give as much to a super PAC, mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of a, you know, a, an organization that can't really coordinate with a campaign uh, officially and, but still, you know, runs ads and does stuff for your campaign. It's just kind of separated. Right. Officially. Yeah. And then less than 15% of his contributions came from individuals of under $200, which is kind of a warning sign because you want to see that strong grassroots uh, support and the less than $200 check. That's what most people are giving, which is actually the threshold uh, it takes to, sh to remain under having to file a federal filing yeah. which, that shows you donated more than $200. So yeah, there's, again, he's raised a lot of money, but there are some of those warning signs blinking and flashing a little bit. This is like earnings season for uh, political right. candidates because I need to file uh, this documentation with, you know, federal regulators, which is the same thing as uh, companies. And so we got a bunch of other candidates details too. Trump raised $17.7 last quarter, which is a little bit less than DeSantis, but he's got a huge war chest. He's got about twice as much to spend because I apparently doesn't hire 92 people to work. And then Biden is literally like this bootstrapped startup even though he's the president of the United States, he just spent $1.1 million in the second quarter on his reelection campaign and employs four full-time staffers. So scrappy. At this point in Obama's reelection campaign in 2011, he had spent $11 million. So Biden is being a penny pincher here. I know, seriously. It's a little crazy when you see it compared to Obama. And then I also just want to talk about what the other candidates, uh, GOP candidates, are doing because they're getting super creative. So one candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, launched a program to give his backers a 10% cut of the money they raised for his campaign. So basically, like, created these traveling salesmen. Like, Tupperware. A, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's like a Tupperware campaign. And then the mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, uh, also is entering supporters into a raffle to win front row tickets to watch Messi play if they Venmo his campaign at least $1. And then North Dakota Governor uh, Doug Burgum is handing out $20 in gift cards to anyone who donates as little as $1. So you see all these like creative campaigns of maybe questionable legality of yeah. that are creating these financial incentives because the big thing is for these fringe candidates is to hit that 40,000 donor target. And if you do that, you get on stage for the first GOP debate. So you're, we're getting real creative these days. So you consider yourself a, a marketer. <laughs> I consider you a really good marketer. Would you, is being on like a campaign interesting to you because it's kind of different. You're promoting a person or ideas rather than a particular product. And do you think these, you know, stunts like, you know, offering a free ticket to Messi or $20 gift cards are effective? Well, I would think absolutely they're effective, especially Francis Suarez, who's saying Venmo me a dollar. Yeah. Because first of all, I would... As a marketer, I need to understand the legality of all these things. Like, I don't, there are definitely some more laws around campaign finances and, and fundraising. Right. But if you can get, mobilize a population who knows what Vemo is and can use Vemo, I think that's a great strategy for like raising money because, yeah, it's just a dollar. Venmo is very easy for people. So I don't know. I love seeing how creative the, the fringe people get. We'll see if anyone make it on the debates. You just gotta, you, you just gotta back out your costs and see if it's worth, you know, the cost per acquisition, like right. a very traditional digital marketer. Apparently, this North Dakota, first of all, he's a billionaire. Right. So he can, he can afford this. Um, but it would cost to, to get 50,000 donors 
that he's looking for with the gift card scheme, it would cost not even a million dollars. And then, so you're paying basically a million dollars, getting people into your system. You get a huge email database, and then you get to be on the debate stage with Trump and DeSantis and all of them. So it might be a good scheme yeah. if it is legal, but they're not. But they're saying it might not be. Yeah, let's uh, let's run one for uh, Morning Brew Daily. Let's get a little uh, referral system going. All right, Neil, let's move on to our next story. Uh, so remember last week, the SAG after a union, which represents 160,000 actors and other Hollywood personnel, officially went on strike, joining the Writers Guild of America. It's the first time that both the writers and the actors have been on strike since the 1960s. And we're finally starting to get a picture of what that might mean for the film and entertainment industry. First and foremost, movie premieres are going to look a lot different because strike guidelines prohibit not only on-camera work, but also promotional activity. So, for instance, this weekend, Disney held a red carpet for their new movie, Haunted Mansion. And instead of having stars like Tiffany Haddish or Danny DeVito walking the red carpet, they brought out characters like Mickey and Minnie Mouse, Maleficent, and Cruella, which is pretty Black Mirror-y, if you ask me, using fictional characters pr to promote a movie because your actors are on strike. We're in some weird times. I know. And then you also have the continued chatter around studios' desire to use AI to scan an actor's image and own it for the rest of eternity uh, in exchange for one day's work. Speaking of Black Mirror. They made an episode around that. that. Yeah. Isn't that the exact same kind of uh, plot line in the most recent Black Mirror? Yes. I haven't watched it yet, Me but I did, I did read that. You're, you are correct. That was, that was my next line. Oh, sorry. And then plus uh, the walkout is also affecting productions internationally in places like Thailand where the next season of White Lotus is being filmed as well as the UK and Europe. So this walkout clearly is turning into a global issue and maybe even an existential one for the whole industry. Yeah, I mean, you have uh, these big media CEOs going on interviews and saying this is kind of going to destroy our industry. You had Barry, Barry Diller, who is this, if you haven't heard of him, he's this huge media mogul. He's the chairman of IAC and Expedia. He went on CNBC and said these conditions will potentially produce an absolute collapse of the entire industry because there's this flywheel if you know a negative flywheel mm -hmm. where if you don't have content then people cut their subscriptions to disney plus and hulu because they're like well i don't need to see all this stuff again and then there's then there's no revenue to produce new shows even when this strike ends potentially you know a few months from now or whenever it does and so he's just like warning that you know this entire Hollywood industry will collapse. Yeah, I could totally see it. It is kind of that doom loop that we've described. Doom loop, I, I think we, we've described it with San Francisco, but yeah, you're totally right. right. Like if there's no new content and there's no new money to film new content, so I, I could see it getting ugly. Then again, it's coming from him and he's trying to <laughs> stake out his negotiation and put pressure on the actors and yeah. writers to come back to the table. Well, but he also says uh, his plan for going forward is that he thinks the top studio execs and top paid actors should take a 25% pay cut as a good faith measure. So I don't know about that. Like in reality, who knows if that's ever going to happen, but that's his path forward as like to, to bring some uh, stability to the negotiation table. But then I also just want to talk a little bit about uh, the SAG after president Fran Drescher, who's been on an absolute press tear recently. So during our Toby, not Toby show on Friday, we actually talked about Bob Iger's Disney CEO's comments mm -hmm. on the strike where he called for the picketers to be quote realistic with their demands. Yeah. Well, Fran was no too ha none too happy with those comments. And we have a little clip that illustrates the extent of her distaste. 
What did you think about Bob Iger's comments yesterday? I, I, I found them terribly repugnant and out of touch, positively tone deaf. And, you know, I don't think it served him well. If, if I were that company, I would lock him behind doors and never let him talk to anybody about this because it's so obvious that he has no clue as to what is really happening on the ground with hardworking people that don't make anywhere near the salary that he, he's making. So obviously you can kind of hear the charged nature of the discourse around the strike, which is almost shifted into a bit of class warfare where you have the unions representing the common person pitted against the one percent and ceos like warner bros discoveries david's last lab and of course disney's ceo bob Iger. it's crazy though how like right she was talking about about how much bob Iger was making and i think he earned uh 65 million dollars from disney in 2018 which was about 1400 times the company's median employee salary and he just signed this new contract where he's going to get paid up to 31 million dollars so he's getting paid a lot, but also it's a little bit odd to see super highly paid actors like Fran uh, get up there and talk about the working man. But you just kind of have to think about the fact that the vast majority of the people in this actors union are not people like right. her and Brad Pitt and Matt Damon. It's these it's these background actors that, you know, when you see, uh, you know, King's Landing right. and he's walking th and they're all walking through, it's all the people saying shame <laughs> and they're 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 actors. And, you know, they get paid about like twenty six thousand dollars from acting uh, yeah. over the course of the year. So you have really rich people talking on behalf of. It's a not rich people yeah. uh, against really rich people. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a very interesting class dynamic. For sure. And then just looking ahead a little bit uh, to another strike, UPS workers are potentially going to go on strike this week for a variety of reasons from working conditions. Most of their trucks don't even have AC in them to better pay. And experts think it could be one of the costliest strikes in at least a century. It would likely cost $7 billion for a 10-day work stoppage. So we got strikes on strikes coming right now because – UPS kind of is the lubricant that makes the economy yeah. function. To that one's going to be far more debilitating for the global economy. It's just <laughs> to have Hollywood actors on the picket line with, yeah. and then UPS workers. It's going to be, it could be the summer of strikes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Neil, uh, for our next story, I want you to think back to November 22nd, 2019. Remember that day? I, I do. Oh, wow. I absolutely do. I'll tell you why. It was the day that Elon brought a Cybertruck on stage and threw some metal balls at its windows to show how unbreakable they were. Well, he absolutely shattered those windows and apparently the capabilities of Tesla to produce <laughs> the truck itself. But after a global pandemic, one purchase of a social media platform and a potential cage match with Mark Zuckerberg, the Cybertruck is finally here for real. Over the weekend, Tesla built its first Cybertruck at its plant in Austin, Texas. It's been such a long time coming, Neil. But now the question is, do you think this will meaningfully move the needle for Tesla in any way? <sighs> He's, he's looking at a, a I'm looking at a it. video of it and making up my mind. <laughs> I'm going to say no. I don't think this thing is going to sell really well. It is it is ugly, like objectively. <laughs> I mean, it's been in, it's interesting because this pickup segment is so profitable right. for car companies. And there are so many classic names in there, like the Ram and the F-150. And the and the way Ford has gone about its electric transition is it wanted to model its electric Ford F-150 Lightning 
so much to the T of Ford, the actual Ford F-150 to get, you know, people, you know, those guys who love the truck drivers who love their F-150 to come over and buy electric and say, look, it's it's the same thing. Like, you're not going to see anything different. You know, you don't have to explain to people that this is electric and stuff like don't worry about it. And then Elon's gone the complete alternate route by creating something that is so obviously different and electric from a design perspective. And I'm not sure that's going to resonate with the people who buy pickup trucks. It might resonate with, you know, Elon fanboys and people who are really on the cutting edge. But when it comes to a car, I think you want to go basic and you don't want to stand out. It seems like he overthought it a little bit and like yeah if he just made an actual pickup truck that looked like one then it probably would have gone fine i do want to talk a little bit about the price of uh, the cyber truck real quick so initially it was estimated to be priced at thirty nine thousand dollars for the lowest model that model is now expected to cost fifty thousand fifty thousand dollars and have a range of over 300 miles but get this the priciest version starts at around seventy thousand dollars and will have three electric motors with a range of 500 miles so three electric motors and 500 miles is actually kind of a selling point this thing is a beast yeah it's a big it's it's it can tow a lot it's it's comparable to the biggest pickup trucks right. like the ram like it is uh, a very good pickup truck. Design notwithstanding, it can tow a lot of crap. Yeah. And then just in terms of pricing against uh, other competitors, uh, the Rivian starts at $74,000. So it's right around the same price as as the Rivian. And then the Chevy Silverado is actually coming out. And that will start uh, the electric version of the Chevy Silverado. And that will start at $77,000. So this is on the lower end. This is is the affordable pickup EV. It's a classic Elon move. Like he loves lowering his prices. All right, before we jump into our next story, Neil, we're going to take a quick break. All right, let's hit our winners of the weekend, a segment that is pretty self-explanatory. My winner of the weekend is United Airlines pilots because they are on the verge of getting a massive raise. The pilots union and United reached a preliminary agreement that would boost pay by up to 40% over four years and a contract valued at $10 billion. This is a big win that highlights two existing trends. First is this pilot shortage. Uh, The airline industry is short thousands of pilots because so many decided to take buyouts and retire during COVID. So the pilots have a lot more bargaining power, the ones that remain. Also, it speaks to the incredible resurgence in air travel demand post-pandemic. Airlines are adding routes all over the place and they need to staff up to serve all these travelers. Pilots are obviously a big part of the equation because they're driving the thing. I know. It is crazy that flying is already back to pre-pandemic levels, which was not a guaranteed thing by any means just a few years ago. And then, honestly, I do love that United looked at Delta. Right. Delta just gave their pilots a big raise and said, listen, we're not we're not flying unless you give us something on par with, yeah. with Delta as well. So, yeah, definitely 40 percent over over four years. Like that's not nothing right there. That's outpaced. It's a big raise. They all they already make one hundred thousand dollars, you know, at least one hundred thousand dollars. But also we talked about this a few weeks ago. The The requirements to become a pilot are so stringent in the United States. You need fifteen hundred hours of flight time compared to 200 in Europe. So there is an, you could say there's an artificial shortage of pilots and this union wants to keep it that way because they can do things like negotiate 40% raises. Hey, I'm on team pay the pilots though. Like (laughs) our lives are in their hands. Like, yeah, let's make sure they're qualified and, and, and pay them a pretty penny. All right, Neil, my winner of the weekend is a place very near and dear to my heart. 
and that is the grocery store chain Publix. Publix is a staple of Floridians everywhere, including apparently the newest Floridian, Lionel Messi. The goat was spotted shopping in Publix over the weekend, and it sent the internet into a tizzy. People were pumped that the greatest soccer player of all time was shopping at the greatest grocery store <laughs> of all time. But Neil, honestly, Florida and Miami in particular have really rolled out the red carpet for Messi ahead of its of ahead of his move to enter Miami. Murals have been popping up in the city left and right. There's a brewery selling a messy themed beer that comes in a special can. And then the Hard Rock Cafe already created a messy chicken sandwich that comes with a chicken cutlet, provolone, aioli, arugula, and tomatoes, which is supposed to resemble one of Messi's favorite Argentinian dishes growing up. Honestly, seeing Maxi at Publix Neil pump me up a little bit. Yeah, I think he was destined to play in Florida. I was, I was about to say that. It's like this seems like the perfect move. I mean, he could have been in Saudi Arabia, right, with for a lot more money, but he's coming here and with all of the, with the very strong Latin American community in Miami and their love for soccer, it might just turn Miami into a sports town. Messi's arrival. <laughs> Are you? Miami is the sports town. Remember, they uh, had the the Florida Panthers. Okay, just because they're good doesn't mean people care. All right. Well, well, still, I mean, they've had a same pretty... with the the Tampa. I mean, people. Oh, you the, mean, Ra- the Rays are good, but Ch- Champa Bay. <laughs> the Rays are good, but no one goes. Yeah. But I'm saying this might actually make people care because soccer is such a you know global sport. Miami is such a global yeah. city, and Messi is this larger than life character uh, who came to MLS, and yeah. he's, he's Miami's savior. It honestly. It warmed my heart seeing him in Publix, like with his kids. They're picking out just like Captain Crunch cereal. It was a fun, fun little video. Um, but yeah, just seeing him in the place that I have stepped foot in, that was that was a little surreal. What is like the thing you order from Publix? Pub subs, baby. A Publix sub. Is it just a sandwich? Yeah, they just have like deli department over there, and you. It's just like a very famous. They got good bread, and you know how people love their sandwich chains, but pub subs do hit. So the the day that Messi orders a pub sub, that's the day you know he's a true Floridian. Okay, Neil, uh, let's move on to our next story. I can't believe I forgot to mention this at the top of the show today, but happy International Emoji Day. Happy International Emoji Day to you. Thank you. Honestly, I'm pretty staunchly against national days because I think they're usually contrived by some sort of corporation, but I'll give an exception for today because I think emojis are pretty cool and deserve their time in the sun. First, a little history lesson. Emojis were first created by a Japanese artist who saw the way young people loved getting a little heart symbol on some of the first generations of pagers and set out to design some symbols for modern texters. That was back in 1999, and he used Chinese kanji characters, as well as marks used in weather forecasts as an mm-hmm. inspiration. And then they really hit mainstream, though, when Apple added an emoji keyboard to its iPhone in 2011. Fun fact, emojis are actually rendered by developers, so that's why an Apple emoji looks different than an Android emoji. Android emoji is obviously better. Disgusting. Absolutely not. But now in modern day, emojis are as integral to communicating as text and voice. So Neil, before we get into some of the ways emojis are infiltrating modern society, what is your favorite emoji? Definitely the the straight face one where he's just kind of looking into space and then there's no expression where he's just like, mm. that one just, I think that that encapsulates my personality so much. Just the deadpan, the, you know, that's funny. I so, so that one always strikes a chord with me. I'm just like that. He, 
He me for real, for real. Um, <laughs> he me for real, for real. Um, what about you? I like the handshake emoji just because. Oh, you it, love the handshake emoji. It's so emoji. versatile. Like whenever someone you congratulates you or says like, oh, I love like listening to the show. You just give them the handshake emoji. Says like, I'm right there with you, brother. Like, yes, absolutely. So that one and then like the new added Italian one. Oh, the Italian one's that good. That just is perfect for showing that something else is perfect. Yeah. Before we move on, we should talk quickly about uh, the fact that emojis have been popping up in legal cases as like normal language crazy so uh, one judge in the united states ruled that an emoji like rocket ship stock chart and money bags count as investment advice crazy which we've knew, known kind of for a while because yeah. those are so associated with the stock market but legally it, you know yeah. we shouldn't be using those without being like a registered broker and then another case a canadian judge ruled that the thumbs up emoji is as valid as as is as valid as a signature. Yeah, I agree with that one. Like, thumbs up. If someone said, like, do you approve of this document? Like, a thumbs up is pretty unambiguously a consent to that. So I'm on the I'm on the judge's decision on that one. That's what it was. It was a guy, a buyer, texted it to a farmer saying, please confirm that this flax contract, I'm buying $60,000 worth of flax from you and you're going to deliver it, right? Yeah. And in reply, he got a thumbs up to it. And then the farmer, and so he's like, okay, where, where's my flax? <laughs> and then uh, the farmer is, you know, not happy with this. He said, that means I received it. Yeah. Not that I agreed to the contract, but yeah. the judge was like, nope, that is literally a signature. Yeah, well, there's plenty of ambiguous emojis. Like, what does this truly mean? But I think a thumbs up is not one of them. Like, that is consent for sure, yeah. All right, uh, happy emoji day. Um, it's super fun. I was such an emoji hater, and now I am oh, wait. fully embraced. I do have one final emoji fact. Today is, June 17th is emoji day because the calendar emoji that you see in your app is on June 17th. So that is why today is emoji day. All right, Dale. July 17th. July 17th, thank you. Take us, take us to Take us, all right, our, our final segment is a week ahead where we uh, preview what's going on this week. Get you excited. Number one thing, Barbenheimer. <laughs> and, and I should say, it's not Barbieheimer. It's Barbenheimer. Okay. And when they write about this in the history books, it, they will call it Barbenheimer, apparently. Uh, so this is the day, obviously, on Friday when Barbie and Oppenheimer, two movies that couldn't be any more different, are hitting theaters at the same time. And it's created this marketing cyclone yeah. that has maybe probably helped both movies that are playing off one another and I can't wait to go see them both. Yeah. I'm a little sad though because the writers and actors strike. Yeah. There's no red carpets for these things which I feel like robbed them of some, you, some big like Barbenheimer moments. You watch a lot of red carpet? Well, content. I don't know. Like the memes that come out of it will be good so I, I, I'm a little sad. And we should revisit our wager where we talked about Mission Impossible, Barbie and Oppenheimer and you ranked them in terms of box office gross you said it would be mission impossible then barbie then oppenheimer well mission impossible came out this past weekend kind of a disappointment yeah. only 56 million in domestic box office revenues over three days i don't know whether oppenheimer or barbie will top that but i'm a little nervous because you can cash out for like 50 percent of what you put in by the yeah, way yeah but my bet was i would dye my hair pink if i if i got it wrong. and you want to so 50 percent would would that just be like 50 percent <laughs> of my head pink all right Take us forward. All right, let's go. We have earnings season is kicking off, or is really going into full swing after big banks kicked it off on Friday. Bank of America, Tesla, major airlines, and American Express. The biggest one to watch will definitely be Netflix on Wednesday because of obviously what we talked about uh, in terms of the writer strike and how it's impacting their business, as well as how its password uh, crackdown 
mm-hmm. password sharing crackdown is doing, and so far it seems to be doing really well. Yeah. So we'll get an update. I hope it was worth it, Netflix. <laughs> All right, what else is going on? The World Women's World Cup begins on Thursday, which means a lot of early morning wake-ups for everyone. <laughs> who wants including us, who wants to be with us because it is in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so the time difference is going to be super whack. Uh, but the United States plays Vietnam in its first game on Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. I'm nervous for the team. I, I'm really? always nervous for the team. Well, this is a whole new set, set of players. So Give I, us one name that will be a breakout star. Tr- Trinity Rodman, for sure, which is Dennis Rodman's daughter. But yeah. I think it, it this is going to be your moment, for sure. She's she's a heck of a player. Cool. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, British Open in golf uh, tees off on Thursday at Royal Liverpool uh, in Merseyside, England. Rory's got to make it happen. He's yeah. got to be the odds-on favorite. But I was just looking at the golf course names in England and Britain. They're so much cooler than they are here. Absolutely. Royal Liverpool, and there was there's also Royal Troon and Carnoustie and you're, the old course at St. Andrews and Turnberry. You're telling me we just got to put Royal in front of everything. Okay, yeah, you got to put Royal in front of things, but it has to be, you know, nice at the end, I'm too. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Oh, it, it, it's just beautiful to, to, to look at. And then there's San Diego Comic-Con starts on Thursday. That's also going to be very muted affair because of the Hollywood strike. And I got to mention this because he should have been a winner of the weekend. Steph Curry documentary is coming out on Apple TV Plus and hole in one. I got a hole in one and and won this uh, celebrity golf tournament. And he's just kind of beasting right now. He's having a moment. (laughs) All right. We have to wrap it up there. Fun show, Toby. It's great being back. Uh, Hope everyone has a great start to your week. Let's roll the credits. If you want to get in touch with us, share your favorite emoji. Uh, Our email address is morningbrewdaily at morningbrew.com. Emily Milliron is our editor and producer. Samantha Velas and Raymond Liu are the associate producers. Yuchenawa Ogu is our technical director. Billy Benino is on audio. Hair and makeup is crying face, crying face, crying face, crying face. Devin Emery is our chief content officer, and our show is a production of Morning Brew. Great show today, Neil. Let's run it back tomorrow. 